Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say It Loud Podcast Network, where black and brown voices truly matter. Just a thought, just a thought. That's my opinion. It's just a thought, just a thought. Get out your feelings. What's going on, everybody? Uh, welcome to another episode of Just a Thought with Sheree Nicole. And so excited to be tapping in with a powerful woman, Black Girl Magic Personified. I'll run it down for you a little bit more. She's an activist, author, speaker, and a visionary who's blossomed into one of the biggest and brightest voices in the push for racial, social, and political justice in America. She's tapping in with me right now to chat about her highly anticipated new book, State of Emergency, How We Win in the Country We Built. Tamika Mallory, it is an honor to chat with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to chat with you as well. Well, I'm going to jump right in because I know I know you're a busy woman. I was on your Instagram, which I often am. And it seems to me that people just, they just keep coming for you for whatever reason. Um, I saw an exchange that you posted that you had with uh, J.W. Lucas. And, you know, I was looking at the exchange and the response. And I'm, I'm again, I know you get these all the time. People come at you or come for you all the time. But how do you determine when to completely disengage or when to engage to a point then disengage? Because I did see a, a kind of back and forth with the two of you. Well, um, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. One, J.W. Lucas, unfortunately, is not just no, he's not just a nobody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He actually is a producer who has made millions of dollars off of our communities and mm-hmm. continues to be in relationship with and to work with and to receive money from uh, deals that he's doing with black entertainers who mm-hmm. have major platforms. And so um, the harassment that I have been on the uh, unfortunate end of um, is something that needs to be addressed. And yeah. That's why I continue to say to him, you are harassing me. You know, um, it seems like he's finding different ways to contact me. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I keep, I keep saying you're harassing me because that should give him an indication that he needs to stop contacting me. But as you see, he said he can mm-hmm. do whatever he wants. Um, and so I think that's the difference. There are some people who reach out to me and especially from fake profiles or people who, um, you know, obviously you know, they have no real relationship to anything that concerns me. Mm-hmm. I don't even engage. If I feel like saying something in a comment, you know, every now and then I may. And generally if I comment to somebody who definitely is a non-factor, it is because I want to make sure that when other people come to my page, they will be able to see um, the response and be able to gain the knowledge that they may need to go off, you know, wherever other, these other conversations are happening. And one thing I know is that trolls um, and even some of these bots, they're using discussions that they see happening in the broader mm-hmm. context of Black Twitter or other places on the internet. Mm-hmm. And they take those things and, and exploit them. Mm-hmm. And so you may see me respond, but the purpose of my response um is really for the is is really so that other people will see it and 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 see what it is that I'm saying so it just depends but a lot of times I just block people (laughs) 
And and to your point, I mean, it's been argued. I thought I blocked blocked him, but he found you. Yeah, somehow or another, he was back. And I was like, huh? I thought I blocked you. Maybe I didn't. It might have been my fault. But but to that same point, Tamika, I mean, there's got to be a level of protection that you don't feel because Mm -hmm. that was harassment. And so how does that get handled? Is it something that even law enforcement takes seriously? It's up, it's up top. Everybody can see what's going on and you're, you've been very clear about it. So whether it's him or someone else, at what point are you able to be taken seriously as a citizen of this country? And as a black woman, like, yo, this is a, this is now a threat to me. I feel threatened. What can happen here? You know what I'm saying? Well, I think, you know, the thing that's important is that if we, there's a lot of pieces to it. First of all, we, you know, the the mere fact that he has used um, his time to send me clips, like screenshots of new contracts with Black folks that he's working with, um, to send me, uh, you know, information about artists that have are still collaborating with him or working with him or who have hired him is one of the reasons why we are constantly dealing with the things that we go through. You know, it's, it's why we uh, continue to see the abuse and the attacks go unrespected by others because, mm-hmm. or you know, because um why should they care if we don't care, right? So that's that's a part of it. Um, and, and what we're talking about here is a white man um, who believes that he has the privilege to do and say whatever he wants to a black woman. So there, there needs to be a level of protection for that. But the other piece is that he continues to say, well, you know, I see what they're saying about you on Twitter, or I see what they're saying about you here and there. And there are people, real live men and some women, but a lot of men who have been out, you know, attacking me um, and making derogatory statements about me. And they say that it's all because they love black people, right? Mm-hmm. And they and they want to make sure that I am not exploiting um, the black community. And yet what they're doing is giving this man the ability to look and say, well, see, her own people have said these different things about her. So now I feel free to go and attack her. And so I think we just have to ask ourselves, what are we doing? You know, what are we doing? Do we really love Black people? And and do I, as a Black woman, um, do I matter in that? Am I one of those Black people that is loved and, um, and supported? And if so, do we want to be the ones that um, are used as a tool for mm-hmm. white supremacy and for someone to literally harass and attack a woman who, whether you agree with everything I do or not, the one thing you can't say is that I haven't been out in the community doing real work. Correct, correct. And part of that real work is your new book, um, which I'm I'm so excited about. And, and the word emergency stands out to me because it often... To, in my opinion, evokes panic and it causes people to make these impulsive, poor and impractical actions at times. So how do you want to reshape how we examine the word emergency in a way that alerts us that something really is wrong, but also empowers us and equips us with tactical ways to problem solve? Right. Well, that's why there is a subtitle, which is called, you know, which says 
how we win in the country we built. So yes, there is an emergency, but there are steps that we can take to put the fire out. Um, and it is an emergency. Anytime you can have a trial ending for George, for, for the incident or the murder of George Floyd, and then also have Dante Wright be killed in the same city by a neighboring police department, um, again on camera, and of course have it be someone saying, oh, I made a mistake and I, I used my taser instead of my gun. And then whether you agree up, down, left or right, Micaiah Bryant is killed and you have social workers who are clearly saying, hey, we take guns and knives and, and bleach and everything else out of the hands of 16 year olds all the time. Mm. And somehow they, they live. How are we doing it if the police can't do it? And this is the same police department where many have said, you know what? Um, there was a 13 year old killed in the last five years. There was another 16 year old. There was a 15 year old. There was a 21 year old. There was a man in his garage. So the same police department that killed some other people that you may say their names killed a 16 year old girl. And you got to ask yourself why, who failed her? The, the, uh, the, you know, the, the system completely failed her. So I think when you frame all of that, understanding that, you know, everything from foster care to education to he mental health you know, or to the health department, if you will, all of these institutions are failing our communities. And that puts us in a state of emergency without a doubt. But there are steps and tools that we can all use um, and that we can take to change those things. And I and the reason why I, I kind of write this book a certain way is because I want to make it clear that there is a combination of things that need to come together and people that need to be working together. And so it's not just the scholars, it's not just the everyday activists, it's not just the people with money, but it's all those people and Ray Ray's and Keisha's across the nation who are just out here trying to survive. It takes every single one of us to come together to make up the difference that will get us out of the emergency that you mentioned. And you touch on that in the book about people from different walks of life, um, different viewpoints, vantage points, even political viewpoints to a certain degree kind of coming together. How do we bridge that gap? How do we have, have, a, have communicative exchanges where everybody feels heard and then we can move forward? Yeah, I mean, you know, intersectionality is certainly more than a notion. It is a challenging um, uh, uh, opportunity for movements to be larger and stronger. And, but again, it is challenging. And the reason why is because everyone is coming to the space with their feelings. Mm. But I do think that if you want to operate in an intersectional fashion, then you have to be one who is willing to say, you know what, I'm not gonna get everything I want. Today may not be the day for gun violence, which might be my issue. Today might not be the day for equal pay, which may be my issue. Today may not be the day for mental, I mean, maternal um, uh, uh, death. You know, these things may have to not so much take a back seat, but we have to reshape and we have to move and we have to be agile. We have to be, um, we have to be respectful of the fact that our issue, while it is important, it's not the only issue on the table. Sometimes that works. Sometimes, and, and, and certainly with the Women's March, um, we did do that. That's how we ended up organizing 5 million people around the world to be a part of such a historic day, the most 
um, historic protest in American history in terms of a single day event where so many people showed up, right? That is incredible, in absolutely incredible. But the problem came in when the march is over, the event is over, and we have to carry that same intersectional thought process into our everyday work because mm. that's where people and their issues come to the forefront and people are so married to what they believe or married to the biases that exist within them that they are unable to put those things down in order to uplift the moment where another group or another community or another issue needs to be uplifted. And, and, and it's a challenging notion. I mean, it's something we have to continuously work at. And I think that some of our movements, especially when you look at the Black Lives Matter movement in general, one of the things that is being done is to make space for Black trans women, right? Mm -hmm. Is to make space for the LGBTQIA community um, to feel heard and seen. And that's not always an easy process because you have a lot of pushback that comes from other individuals um, who may or may not respect or understand, you know, that may need to be educated, some that will never accept it. However, there is space being made within the movement um, for that. And I, and I am certainly um, a, a supporter of and one who wants to see more space made for Black women's voices, more space made for us to stand up for a Pamela Turner here in Houston, Texas, or Breonna Taylor in Louis, uh, Louisville, uh, Kentucky. We have to make sure that the same fight that we're willing to get to engage in for Mike Brown, for Trayvon Martin, for Philando Castile, for, you know, all the names of the, for Eric Garner, for Sean Bell, um, all of those names, they, they matter. Absolutely. 100%. But so does Sandra Bland. Um, and so does the other women that I named Rakia Boyd. They need the same attention as well. And I think this movement is beginning to make space for that, which would be the epitome of intersectionality within a movement. I agree. And, and to your point, you talk about creating space. I want to move into kind of the ally accomplice kind of piece that you also touch on in the book. And, and I want to ask you, because I, I struggle a bit, you know, I know there are people that are not African-American that want to be a part of, of this movement that have been. And there are some people that whose intent is to be a part, but they may not necessarily really have a grasp of what is going on, how black people really are systemically impacted and oppressed in this country, but they want to be a part. To what yeah. level of responsibility do you think we have as Black people who are trying to advance the movement to educate them? Where's the onus on them to educate themselves? And where's the onus on us to be patient with them in that process and possibly also offer another level of, of insight for them? Well, I, you know, if I had one critique about my book, which drove me crazy <laughs> process, was that I was speaking to different audiences mm -hmm. throughout the book. And you kind of, when you're reading it, you got to know where you stand and where this picks up with you and where it may be, uh, you know, talking to someone else. And that's the challenge that we face when trying to put into, I don't know, 200 and how many pages here? Let's <laughs> it's 212, I think. Um, mm. Yeah. And so when you are trying to put into... 200 plus pages, your thoughts, sometimes, yeah, 220 pages, sometimes it can get a little difficult to make sure that you're honing in on a particular 
audience. And I think that this book required many different audiences to find themselves and to come into the space. Um, and that's the reason why I wrote it because what was happening is right after I spoke uh, during, when George Floyd was murdered, it was just the, the next day, maybe mm -hmm. a day or two. Um, and my socials went crazy. My uh, interview requests went crazy. Uh, even family and friends, uh, white folks that are friends with people were contacting me, speak there, do this, zoom into here, come over here. And I said, okay, obviously there's an appetite. Let me write it down so that I can give this as two people as a tool so mm -hmm. that they can use it um, to get the information and the education that they need. And you and I both know that there are a slew of books um, yeah. <laughs> that have been written on these very issues um, in different ways. And people should pick those books up. White folks particularly should pick those books up. Even if they are books that are addressing Black people, um, it's still going to cover in the book the challenges that we are facing dealing with outsiders and people who are part of the oppression that we experience in our communities. And so I think that um, that's one piece is writing your thoughts down. I think the social media posts where, you know, I see Black folks getting into the details, boy. I mean, I have some Black men on my Facebook page that I just go to their page and I read and I read the comments and see how many white people are there challenging themselves, asking questions. So I think the education is 100% necessary. And yes, it is tiring. And yes, you should have boundaries for how much you are willing to do and invest in teaching people who sometimes are asking questions over and over again because they really don't want to learn it. And you don't have to let people tell you to pipe down, to silence your voice, to say it in a way that makes them feel more comfortable. Either they get it or they don't. And that's really pretty much the bottom line. Um, and then in terms of the patience, I think we need a little bit of patience with people who are asking questions um, that we might think are stupid or why don't you know this already because we get frustrated. So I do think we need patience there. But we don't have to have patience with being murdered. We don't mm. have have patience with people who are trying to make excuses for um, what is happening to us in our communities. That we don't have to do. I think we can have a full stop in saying that either you're with me or you're against me, and that's just the bottom line. Mm. Um, to that point, <laughs> and, and a point you made earlier about all the Black lives lost at, at the hands of police, um, you know, controversial topic. Everybody has their seemingly has their own definition of what defunding the police is. Um, everybody is, I've literally heard 5 million different definitions. And also we have this qualified immunity piece. That's, I don't even understand why this is an actual thing. Why, why, why people still think that this isn't, is okay. And can still consider themselves people who are looking towards police reform. I, I don't, I don't believe police reform exists without that being dealt with in a real way. Um, what, what is your take on that? And how does your book explore that? So first of all, I agree. Well, and any other thing about writing books is that the book was completed a few months ago, right? And so there are things that even I've learned since writing that I wish I could go take the books off the shelves and attach in like, you know, 25 more pages of my notes of new ideas and new things that we see happening. Uh, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act 
literally was 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 announced um, and and presented somewhere during the writing process. It's only been a year, right? So I mm-hmm. was not able to really explore in the ways in which I can speak about it now the importance of passing that bill, which for me is it's it's okay, it's 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 decent, but the real bill that we should be pushing for is the breathe act which has even more radical substance that we need um you know in terms of what can be done to address the issues of police um accountability uh so you know so but the book does talk about um uh defunding police and there's a whole chapter that really kind of deals with what defunding means um and for one there are a lot of people who are again trying to misconstrue the messaging, and they're doing it on purpose because they really, um, they're, the whole issue is that people do not want to go up against police unions in America. That's the bottom line. I mean, when I, I can't say it in any other way than what is absolutely true. Police unions have people shook. They are, they do not want that fight. They are afraid that if they upset police, they won't have support during, um, you know, elections and what have you. And therefore there's a spin out there, um, especially when you have people coming from law enforcement backgrounds, people coming from law enforcement families. Uh, there's a spin out there to try to make it seem like we're saying abolish the police completely. Now I am an abolitionist and I want to get to a day where we will not have police officers and especially police with guns in our communities. We want the same um, type of governing that other countries have where police don't have guns, right? And, and that, that for me would be a part of building the beloved community. However, we're not there right now. We know that we've been trained that anything happens to you, you pick up the phone and call 911. We've been trained to do that, right? And so with that being said, we now we we now have to before we can get to complete abolition we have to create the world that we're looking for and if you think about a place like new york city where 6 to 10 billion dollars a year is being spent on police that's the budget for police but if you look at the budget for uh the health department uh for housing for education and a bunch of other industries and and institutions and you bring those budgets together, you add them all together, you still will not be able to get to the higher end of the $10 billion that the, that the police department um, has in our city. And yet, and yet we still see violent incidents, right? So that tells you that policing alone does not work. But we do have programs in New York City that are more holistic, that give um, opportunity for formerly incarcerated people and others to step into situations. And then those communities we know for sure based upon our data that the number of violent incidents have actually been reduced and the need for police to constantly be in contact with members of that community has been released uh, reduced uh, there it's a program called the crisis management system that I was a part of establishing um, you know many several years ago and so if that if we know that to be true then that means we need to have more mental health 
uh, mm -hmm. services in our community. We need to make sure that housing um, is adequate in our communities, clean food, clean air, um, you know, all of the things that make up a whole person. And if we do that, uh, and if, we, if we're trying to figure out how to do it, the reason why people say defund the police is because we can take some from the police budget, especially from this militarized operation that too many of our police departments um, are, are, are have at their disposal and take those resources and shift them to the services that we need. I think everybody understands it. But if you're listening to Fox News and even sometimes CNN, MSNBC, and all these other um, uh, you know, outlets, they will have you believing that what we're saying is there's no 911 to call if there's a rapist in the community. Mm. Mm. As I, wow, thank you for sharing that. As I close, I want to I finish with this question, Tamika. I um, was I, I produced for Jeezy's show Worth the Conversation on Fox Soul, and he recently you were on the first season actually, and um, he interviewed Sean King this season, and Sean talked about the weight of of activism and his family, his wife and kids. Like, Dad, you know, honey, can you literally? Is there anything else you could do? His mom, is there anything else you could be doing? Why are you doing this? And he talked about the weight of the call and how this is his purpose. This is what he's supposed to do. As someone who has, has, is walking in those similar shoes, has been harassed, has dealt with criticism, whether it be from outsiders, whether it be from vehement races, whether it be from, you know, parents of those who we've lost, who you've, you know, been on the front lines for in many instances. What does that weight feel like? And how, what is your intention as you push forward with this book and just with all the work that you're doing? Yeah, I, I know I want to make sure for a point of clarification, there's not been a family that I actually worked with um, that has criticized me or come out and said that I'm, you know, exploiting their children or any of that. All of the families that I work with, uh, I have, you know, I'm not saying that that there's not been a family in my entire life that didn't say, well, I need more, or I need something different, or we, you know, had to fix issues. Um, but uh, and 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 to be honest with you, I'm saying that because you never know, you forget things. But to be honest, I really have absolutely no family that I can remember over time that did not know that my intentions and my integrity were in place and that I was trying my best to live up to what it is that they need from the best best place in my heart um, and those families would tell you that if you ask them and and so I think that's important. It doesn't mean that other families don't matter, but it is important to note that the families that I specifically have worked with are people who respect me and we've maintained relationships that have existed for now 20 years. Um, I continue to work with some of these uh, in individuals and families. It is heavy. It's very weighty. Um, you know, you don't rest the way that you should because of the worrying and the anxiety. Um, you know, you worry about your family, you worry about your safety. There's so many different concerns that we go through while trying to um while trying to to stay focused and also trying to stay disciplined not to go and like flip out on people because mm -hmm. sometimes you have that you feel like you're human right and when people are after you or when you're having a bad day and you know and just feeling like the world is against you. Um, you know, you might want, you may feel the need to lash out, but we know that that really doesn't solve the problem. Uh, in many instances, it really just creates more of a problem. And I um, have had to learn that and I still have a whole hell of a lot of growing up to do. Uh, and that's okay as well. And so, yes, it's weighty, it's heavy, it's 
It's unfortunate, it's uncomfortable, but if it's your passion, and every time I try to run, because I have skills, I'm smart, I can do a lot of things. If I can write a book, I certainly can write proposals. I certainly can write for someone and help people make money. I could go out and make my own money and, and do things that I want to do. And I am starting to get into my own and do more of those things. Mm -hmm. But I spend a lot of time on my passion and in this work, because every time I try to go off to do something else, God pulls me me back he pulls me back he pulls me back and and I'm okay with that I really am I'm okay with it well my dear sister I thank you so much I admire you for all your hard work and for your heart and for your intention for for our people and and for black women and I just want to just you know say thank you honestly from my thank heart you. and I just pray that God continues to protect you and bless whatever you put your hands to guys make sure you grab this book state of emergency how we win in the country we built get it get it get it available where all fine books are sold Tamika Mallory thank you so much thank you thank you for having me Thanks so much for listening. This is Just a Thought, hosted and produced by yours truly, Sharina Cole, in association with Sharina Cole Media and the Say It Loud Podcast Network. Just a Thought is now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Radio.com. And make sure that you subscribe, share, and rate us. And also, tell a friend. You can follow the Just a Thought podcast on Instagram at Just a Thought Show and on Twitter at Just a Thought Win. That's W-I-N. You can also follow me, Sheree Nicole, on Instagram and Twitter. Same handle, Sheree underscore Nicole, S-H-A-R-I underscore N-Y-C-O-L-E. This is just a thought, just a thought. It's my opinion. It's just a thought, just a thought. Get out your feelings. Say It Loud Podcast Network, where black and brown voices truly matter. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.